good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up we have to say a very good morning to AB Bishop. Morning AB. Oh, good morning Pam. Isn't it exciting? Spring is definitely here. Oh, Spring is here. It was it it's nice is. and light in the morning on the way in and uh, yeah there's just that... Slight crack of warmth in the air, which is slight crack. <laughs> slight, not not necessarily early in the morning, but no, it's um, it's definitely there. The um, the the peach is well in blossom. Um, unfortunately, I did miss the spraying of of it, so um, I'm expecting a few curly leaves. But apart from that, it's um, yeah, it's looking good, and the, and the veggie garden's looking good, and yeah. I think we were fooled by the cold weather. I wasn't looking for the, the pink bud stage, to oh, be quite honest. I missed, do you know what? I swear I missed it by like two days. I was like, yep, on Monday I'm going to be out there, I'm going to spray, and then on the Saturday I was like, damn oh, it, I there forgot. they are. <laughs> there they are. There yeah. are those little flowers come through. Yep. So, yeah, that was that's a bit disappointing. But I, I, I'm very happy to announce that um, two of our three passion fruits made it through the winter. Oh, well done. Yeah, which is a first because usually they, they're uh, well and truly frost affected. But um, two layers of frost protection cloth seems to have done the trick. But interestingly, so we, we had in two um, black Nelly Kellys and a yellow Nelly Kelly, and the yellow one is the one that didn't make it through. So right. obviously not quite as hardy as the others. Yep. Well, so, that's good to know anyway. Yeah, yeah. So looking forward to a bit of a crop this year. Okay, wonderful. Excellent. We've also got to say a very good morning to Virginia Haywood. Morning, Virginia. I don't think it's warm, I have to say. <laughs> it is beautiful out there this morning, though. Looks like a real gardening day. Mm. I've been out gardening in the most appalling weather because I've just got so much to prune. And I can verify that because I dropped in at Virginia's during the week and there's just prunings from here to kingdom come. <laughs> I'm not the tidiest gardener. <laughs> well, you have to leave them somewhere, don't you? Yes. I mean, well, until you're finished. But Sue's fantastic. She she prunes her salvias and then she cuts them up, leaves them on the, on the bed and then just covers it with mulch. Oh, that's... Which is a really that's... smart thing to do. Because I've got, I don't know how many salvias, you know, somewhere we won't somewhere count. north of 100. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so the amount of pruning is just huge and my burn pile is massive and I look at my burn pile and I feel terrible. But so much of it's so woody. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you really couldn't kind of prune and, and mulch with it as you go because, you've, A, you've got too much and, B, so much of it is woody. Yes, it's too, it is. And also, you know, because I was in Europe this time last year, so some things just didn't get pruned last year. And um, I've just got to do it, and I'm pruning hard. And I have to say, like Virginia's garden—I mean, you'd know, Pam—it's so big. I don't know how you do it. It's—it uh, is just massive, and there's so much in there. Well, you know, and so much in flower, which no doubt we'll talk about later. Yes, there's a huge but, yeah. amount in flower at the moment. My garden is so good in winter. Mm. I, I, I often look at the open garden scheme and think, why on earth don't they open now? You know, my garden is fabulous, and Aunt Stephen's garden's good in winter. So, you know, a lot, quite a lot of gardens are good in winter. Yes. It's, it's strange, I think, but it's beautiful. I have got camellias that are just disgustingly blousy. They're just fabulous. Yeah. Camellias are having a good year this year. Oh, one of mine. I have, I've moved my path because the path and the camellia just, you know, it didn't work. They were fighting with each they other. They were fighting with each <laughs> other, so the path had to go, even though that's much harder work because I was scared I'd lose the camellia because the flowers are the size of two They're hands. They're enormous. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely enormous. Yes. It's some sort of cross and it's got to have reticulata in it. It's just extraordinary. Mm. It's not good if you want really subtle 
things. Uh, no. <laughs> it's not a subtle chameleon. No. <laughs> we also have to say a very good morning to Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm. Morning, Graham. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody out there in, in listening land. You're probably still in bed, all you people there with with this coal. But, you, ha- you know, you haven't even had any coal. We got down to minus eight at our place. <laughs> Show off. Down along, down, <laughs> down along the creek. Even, even the platypus were feeling it, I think. Oh, dear. Um, it's it's just been a, a fascinating year, isn't it? And we talk about um, uh, the daffodils this year are fantastic. They are. They love the coal. Yes. The bulbs do. I, I can't understand that with bulbs, why they love the coal. But anyway, uh, and we're seeing natives around our place that are being burnt by the cold. Right, And yes. I think we're, we're probably close on up to um, 80 frosts this year, easily. Mm. And uh, I've never been burnt so much firewood, <laughs> but uh, it's been uh, an amazing year. And the biodynamic people say, "Hey, you know, this cold weather is uh, is good for the um, the um, uh, the root base, the root growth in the soil." And um, you know, we've had a good lot of rain. I've just been up into Young in New South Wales. Okay, people know where Young is up, and they have a fantastic cherry festival up there. If you want to go for a horticultural place, that you're um, orchards up around Young are beautiful mm. at the moment, and the canola is out, and it's just seas of yellow. Yellow, yeah, absolutely beautiful. So smelly, up, isn't it? Going up the Olympic Highway, go up the Olympic Highway. Yep, and it's a good, great drive. It yep. really is. It's a beautiful place, and Young's a place full of history because they discovered gold and they that's, uh, did a lot of terrible things to the Chinese people during the gold rush, and they talk about that in Young. Uh, but yeah. Been good. So, Graham, and what's the correlation between the um, cold weather and, and root growth? There's, there's um, uh, the biodynamic people talk about uh, root growth, and we think that the roots of plants, you know, were taught as kids at school. Although everything goes to sleep, and so do the worms, but they don't. The worms are so active. The worms breed between May and October, and that's when the activity is. And there's so much moisture in the soil. And what the biodynamic people say is that, hey, there's so much activity going on there and so much um, uh, microbial activity that we forget about um, is, is, um, is part of what nature happens with the soils. Mm, interesting. And I yeah. guess, I mean, there, there are so many plants that their growth spurt is during winter. Mm. So, here? Yeah. Mm. Here. Not, not so, so much. In, I mean, not in Europe. But, of course, and the other thing is that all those beautiful leaves have fallen down in, yeah. and have been rotting all, all over winter. That's you know, right. They're there for the worms. I, in my wheelbarrow, I, went, I put a whole lot of soil in my wheelbarrow. There's these tiny, 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 wincy little mm-hmm. worms. They're all mm. breeding away in my wheelbarrow. Mm. <laughs> and, I'm thrilled. And, <laughs> and the organic matter, is, of course, is, is, as you've said, is available to the, to the worms on, on, the, on the soil. It's a very natural process. All the leaves and, mm. and uh, of course, um, people think, uh, it's, it, you know, you don't mulch your garden. It's an important t- thing to mulch your garden through the winter. And you just need a layer. Cuttings. Yep. And yeah, to, to recycle things back into the garden, why do we take things away to a compost heap and that sort of thing? Why not do it just in the garden and chop it all up? All I've got to do is find out a way we can do that with roses with the, with the rotten thorns. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to get to some community announcements because um, being the start of spring, of course, uh, there's a lot of events coming up. So uh, bear with me. I need to get through a few of these. Get your pens ready. Absolutely. In fact, hopefully all listeners know now to have uh, pen and paper ready before (laughs) we get started on the program. 
First up, there's a few things on today. If people haven't planned what they're going to do for the day, uh, Maribyrnong Orchid Society have got their orchid show on today. Um, this is at the Maribyrnong Community Centre, which is in Randall Street in Maribyrnong. It's on today, 9am through to 4pm, and uh, it's at uh, Tram Stop 57 or 82, uh, or also um, stop number 45, and Melway's uh, reference there is 28A8, so that's 9am through till 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, Lee and Gather have got their 46th annual Rose Spectacular on this weekend. That's taking place in the Memorial Hall down at Lee and Gather. Admission is $5, children are free. They have a large cut flower section, uh, display from Morwell Rose Garden, display of miniature roses and fifth annual feature rose. Um, there's a new look to this major rose show. Um, and uh, for more details, you can phone Josie. The number is 56573292. 56573292. So that is on today as well. That, Pam, is a, an up-and-coming event with the Rose Festival. Okay. What is happening at Lee and Gather um, is the Daffodil Festival at yes. the moment. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, and I'm not too sure what weekend that's on. If someone, oh, yes, you're right if, too. Rose is it's, – it's November. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't look at it. November, so that is up-and-coming, yeah. The Daffodil Festival is on. And if, uh, if someone no, it's in, finished. Finished, is it? It was okay. last weekend. Okay. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah. We're all getting confused here. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, something else that is on today, I know for sure because I went there myself yesterday, is the Australian Plants Expo. Uh, now, this is Native and Indigenous plants, books, talks, displays and more at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, which is at 801 Main Road in Eltham, 9th and 10th. So it was on yesterday, on again today, 10am to 4 PM, and this is being run by the uh, Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group there. So that's today in Eltham, uh, nine, uh, 10 o'clock through until 4 o'clock. Now, uh, next weekend, um, well, before I go to next weekend, Virginia, I think you said that Fernie Creek's on today. Fernie Creek Spring Festival is on today, so if people want to go to that, that's always fantastic, and that's at 100 Hilton Road, Fernie Creek. And I think that's 66E12 on your Melways. Okay, excellent. And, uh, of course, the Fernie Creek uh, shows are always fantastic. Wonderful. They're and Really also, excellent. Also, the garden's going to be fantastic because they've got that whole South African section, which will all be in flower. Yes. So that should be lovely. Yes, beautiful. Now, if you are looking for a daffodil show, um, one that is on at the moment, running through until today, so today is its last day, is the Kyneton Daffodil and Arts Festival. So that's all happening today um, up in uh, up in Kyneton there. Um, if, you, uh, if you go to Kyneton Daffodil Arts, all one word, .org.au, you can get all the details of that one as well. Now, as I mentioned, coming up uh, on the 16th of September... There's another Orchid Spring show. This will take place at the Montrose Town Centre. Um, it's at 935 Mount Dandenong Tourist Road in Montrose. Entry for that one is $3. Okay, a few more that I should uh, mention. Um, down at Geelong today, 
they've got their new uh, walk and talk. Um, it starts at 2 o'clock. You can meet your guide at the front steps of the Geelong Botanic Gardens. Entry is by a gold coin donation. And it's all about seeds, hedges and history. So you can look at uh, their seed propagation beds for the gradual reseeding of Eastern Park. And um, also they're going to be talking about hedging in the demonstration beds near the conservatory and discover a little bit of the history for that one. So that's today at 2 o'clock. Now, uh, coming up next Wednesday, 13th of September, Friends of Burnley Gardens. Um, they've got an AGM, and that's then followed by an illustrated talk with Jill Kello called Plants, Plants, Plants. And uh, Jill uh, will be, she's a, a plant ID lecturer and Burnley graduate. She's a plantaholic and dog lover. There you go. Um, I hope her dog dig, doesn't dig up all her plants. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, there you go. So as I mentioned, next Wednesday... Uh, it's at the University of Melbourne Burnley campus. Um, Six o'clock for the AGM, seven o'clock for drinks and nibbles and 7.30 for the talk. Cost is free if you attend the AGM or $5 for members and $15 for visitors. Uh, if you want more inquiries on that one, you can phone 9035 6815. That's 9035 6815 and of course parking there is available in the boulevard also next wednesday um there'll be uh, a bush foods talk with karen sutherland this is being held for friends of the melton botanic gardens uh now uh karen of course is the owner of edible eden design and in her garden she cultivates about 200 different productive plants arranged for both their aesthetics and growing requirements. Now, uh, <clears throat> you can come along to that one. The venue is Botanica Springs Community Centre, 249 Clarks Road in Brookfield. And for more information on that one, you can phone John, 9743-3819. That's 9743-3819. And this event is free and will be followed by supper. So uh, that sounds like a good one. Uh, now, um, Southern Suburbs Orchid Society have got their annual spring orchid show coming up. Now, this will be held uh, 16th and 17th of September, so that's next weekend. It will be held at the NG Wishart Senior Citizens Hall, 964 Nepean Highway in Moorabbin. Opening times will be from 10 to 4 on both days. Refreshments will be available. There'll be a large range of flowering Australian and other exotic orchids. Uh, and uh, any orchid-related queries and questions can be answered by the orchid-growing experts during the event. Now, uh, as I mentioned, the location is NG Wishart Senior Citizens Hall, 964 Nepean Highway in Moorabbin. Cost of entry is $3 and again for further information you can contact Frank. His number is 0400-889-739. That's 0400-889-739. Now uh, coming up next weekend 
We have uh, Open Gardens Victoria have got a garden opening up. Now, this is um, Iliari Coastal Garden, and uh, it's a garden at Balnarring Beach. Uh, so it's opening both Saturday and Sunday of next weekend. Um, now, the garden has uh, been uh, uh, developed by very knowledge- knowledgeable plants people, and it's been created over the last 19 years in deeply sandy soils down there at Balnarring Beach. Uh, It's constantly evolving. It's on a quarter-acre garden and it now spills out beyond the property boundaries into uh, nature strip strip plantings as well. Now, uh, the the, uh, owners were, let me see, um, they've uh, been gradually changing the soil profile with regular mulching because of that sandy soil and uh, they've been developing it to try and uh, build it up so that it will be perfect for West Australian plants. So there'll be a lot of, um, lot of uh, wonderful, diverse native plants, but including some of the difficult-to-grow, vibrant Western Australian species. Um, now, the owners have been inspired by the naturalistic style of landscape architects such as Gordon Ford, Paul Thompson and Sam Cox, uh, to create uh, a woodland-style garden with a carpet of low-growing plants. Uh, it will include uh, large granite rocks from the Arthur's Seat Quarry um, there, and also many, many uh, foliage and flower plants. Now, that's, uh, as I say, that's uh, Iliari Garden. Now, the address is 7 Library Road, uh, Balnarring Beach, uh, it's open 10 to 4.30 on both days next weekend. Entry is $8. Uh, children under 18 are free. Students, $5. There will be plant sales there by Merrick's Nursery and there will also be refreshments and light lunches available. Now, uh, as it is the start of the new season for Open Gardens Victoria, they are again offering us one free double pass. So if uh, anyone would be interested in grabbing that free double pass to go along and have a look at that uh, garden if you're particularly interested in Australian native plants do give us a call now and have a chat to Liz the number is 94190155 that's 94190155 just a couple more I should mention Uh, now these are for the diaries um, firstly, coming up on Saturday the 23rd of September, there's going to be a Clivier Expo. Now, um, this will be take place at St Scholastica's Community Centre, which is 384 Burwood Highway in Bennettswood, 10am through to 4pm. Parking is off Starling Street. There'll be propagation and cultivation demonstrations and some exciting new varieties displayed and for sale. Refreshments available as well. Entry will be $2. Now, um, uh, as I say, they, uh, the, one, the uh, address for that one is St Scholastica's Community Centre, 384 Burwood Highway in Bennettswood, and that's the Clivia Expo, Saturday 23rd of September. Uh, now, I will mention the other one, which is coming up a bit later, um, 
in a little while because that has a few details with it and uh, it's high time. We didn't keep our listeners waiting any longer. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, do give us a call. That number is 94190155. On the air this morning, we have AB Bishop, we have Virginia Haywood, and we have Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm. So uh, we'd love to hear from you, 94190155. Graham, roses are about to start doing their thing. Yes, the roses are, are on, on the move. And um, uh, it's really a time of enormous quick growth. You can see it in the pots. There's about 4,000 in, in the nursery that, we, that we've got at the moment. And um, the growth is happening really quick. And it's remarkable that um, with what's happened with the bare-rooted roses and they're flowering in, in November, I think it's one of those miracles of nature. Besides fowls laying an egg... I walk into my chook pen every morning and I say to the, my girls, you are miracle makers. You can lay an egg like this about every second day. Right. We can't do that with computers, and I certainly can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fantastic. Pam, just to change uh, the, the, the tune a bit, I have a letter here from uh, Mr. Alex Smart of 7 Ann Street, Beaconsfield, and um, he, he writes and says, to us at Silky's Rose Farm, as a supporter of 3CR, I often think of the commitment of time and travel you make to share your knowledge at the gardening show. Thanks. And that applies to everybody that comes here, in here to the gardening show. They get up Sunday morning and uh, get rattling their bones. I get up at around about five o'clock. What time do you get up, Virginia? Five o'clock? Yeah. That's insane. What do you do? I, um, I've got to do all my domestics before I get going, ah, you know. okay. Well, I, I, I get up at six and roll out of bed and got my coffee ready and I've just got to pour the hot milk into it and off I go. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, I bet you, you I get up at 5.30. <laughs> and Alex writes from um, Beaconsfield and being a, a, a regular listen, listener, he writes that he's recently waded through records by William Howard an author and father of Alfred Howitt, made a visit to the Victorian goldfields. His son Alfred went to become an explorer, magistrate and collector of plants for von Mueller, hence Acacia Howatiana. Acacia Howatiana, do do any of our panel know of Acacia Watiana? I've heard of it, I don't specifically. Okay, one of those lovely wattles that are at the moment. Wattles brilliant. Yes, amazing. amazing. Anyway, he goes on to say, I thought you of you when I came upon William Howard's record of travelling through Kilmore, particularly on page 95 of this book. It seems that he was a graphic reporter rather than just a, a pommy whinger. Anyone who complains about the current conditions of the road should read how it was in 1852. <laughs> and one of the interesting things is, and I recommend this for people who uh, like to look at landscapes, um, take a drive along Old Sydney Road. And what happened with Old Sydney Road, it goes um, through Euroke and mm-hmm. goes heads north. And because Old Sydney Road was developed because it uh, went along the ridge lines and where they, people w- uh, in wagons and that sort of thing going to the goldfields didn't get bogged. Right. And, of course, that was a real hassle. You go through Beveridge and Wallen in the low country and some of the um, creek um, uh, cuttings on the way to, to kill me up pretty silly. Well, people just got bogged, and they were bogged there for days. Right. And days and days. And anyway, this is an account about the roads, and Alex um, has written to um, just say, hey, 
when we uh, drive along the roads, just be grateful for the way they are compared to ba- back in um, the goldfield days. Thank you, Alec, for your uh, letter. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, as I mentioned, if you'd like to join us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155. Hey, B. Oh, I'm You're about to head off. I am about to head off, which is um, rather disappointing because that um, Balnarin Garden uh, uh, sounds fantastic. The the native garden down there sounds terrific. But yes, I am about to head off overseas um, for a three-week uh, little trip to Europe. I think it's going to be a very busy three weeks. It is, it is going to be busy, but um, it, it's, it's a tricky one because you want to pack in as much as possible, but then you still want to get the feel of the places that you're at. So we're, we're heading off to um, Paris for a, a while and then heading down south to or southwest France to the Dordogne district, which, uh, Pam, you know well, and you've given me some information on things that I absolutely have to check out down there. Yep. Um, and um, taking in a balloon trip through the valley, which oh, wow. um, unfortunately is just as expensive as the balloon trips in the Yarra Valley, but I thought <laughs> we're on holidays, we yep. lash out. Got to do it. And um, check out all the gardens. So my sister and brother-in-law, they're well into gardening as well, and they have um, they travel to that region frequently, so they've got all the gardens prepped for oh, us that's to visit. Good. Yeah, which, which is uh, I was staying in the Dordogne oh, some years ago now, and we had an... Edible dormouse trapped in our toilet. Oh, we had to rescue it and let it out. And it's about the size of a possum. Okay. An edible, an edible, an edible dormouse. dormouse. Really? Hmm. I didn't even know they existed till I found one in the toilet. You mean people eat them? Well, I presume they did. I yes. doubt they do now. It was too cute to eat. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and so of if course, you're lucky, you might see an edible. I'm very lucky. Yeah. Well, I, I will be getting up early and, and doing lots of walks. So hopefully, and um, yeah, and check out the prehistoric caves there with with the cave art. I think that would be pretty special. And um, my sister was most amused. Um, I said, can you please bring a trowel so we can have a little fossick around in the soil? Because it's something that fascinates me wherever we go is just what sort of soil is there, the, the natural soil. It's just um, always quite intriguing. So she'll be bringing a trowel across from England and that'll that'll be terrific. And uh, yeah, then we head up to uh, Amsterdam for a couple of nights, Bruges for a couple of nights uh, to take in, I suppose we might see the canals, but there are 50 chocolate shops there as well. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's mate, a much more mate, a point of interest to me. <laughs> and then, yeah, and... Um, and back to Paris for about, about another week. So plenty to check out. And the, I was just looking at the um, Palace of Versailles last night and their, their gardens and fountains and they've got musical musical fountains and in, in the garden display. So I think – and like 800 hectares. Yes. Like who, I think in the, in the times gone by it was 8,000 hectares, but, you know, they've narrowed it down. It's 800 hectares, so that'll, that'll be a day trip. Monet's garden? <clears throat> uh, maybe – Still, still prepping now. Yeah, because it's it's quite easy to get to from Paris. It's quite close yeah. to yeah. Paris. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Get, get there early for Monet's garden. Yeah, I've heard get there packed. early for everything, pretty much. Yeah. Yes, so, I think so. Yeah, Notre Dame, if you want to go to the Bell Tower, get there, I don't know, 4 o'clock in the morning or something <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Australians don't like queues, do we? No, well, no, Americans love all. them, but Australians no, hate no. them. No, <laughs> don't like So, yeah, very much looking forward to reporting back on a, on a whole new suite of gardens mm. and, and plants. And, um, yeah, hopefully this time I don't... Um, injure myself. I had a stopover in Japan a few years ago on my way overseas and um, 
decided to go for a run um, before my next flight and um, went running in the bush and was busily trying to identify a tree and, and fell in a hole and sprained my ankle very badly about oh. six kilometres away from the hotel. So that wasn't good, so I won't be doing any of that. But, uh, yeah, very very much looking forward to it. So, okay, great, yeah, fantastic. Should be terrific. I will warn you, some of the some of the little uh, pathways around the Dordogne are quite steep and slippery. Okay, <laughs> I have been warned. Uh, we had two injuries on the trip I was on, so <laughs> just be careful. Yeah, no, very much looking forward to it. It's all going to be about the train travel, so lots of sitting on the train and yep. uh, But that's reading. a good way to see the countryside. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yep. absolutely. So, yeah, look, looking forward to it. Excellent, fantastic. Virginia, you've brought in bits and pieces, obviously from some of what you've been trimming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they um, they haven't travelled terribly well, I'm afraid. No, they haven't, actually. <laughs> Lucky it's radio. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and surprising for me, all of them are natives. But the... the d- yes, isn't that absolutely gorgeous? That's a pandaria it pandorana. It, it's the Wonga gold. And it's, you know, the lady dyes such a large pink flower i don't like it at all but this is for a pandaria it's a very delicate flower i love it how you say that and when i look at your camellias that you've got in your garden they're so huge and blouse and yet you don't like the pandaria because it's all it's a bit large and pink <laughs> and and i absolutely adore my pink hardenbergia oh well that's there you go. Yeah, that is just gorgeous at the moment it's in flower and it's and all the white ones are out as well and for some reason i don't have the purple one don't know how I did that. Okay, back to the pandaria. But I just think it's 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 an unusual colour. It is. It's it's a dusky orange with a with yellow, and it really is quite. Um, as I said, it's a small flower, but there's a lot of them, and it is being a de- fairly delicate vine. It's really noticeable, which is rather fantastic, I think. Um, and is it, obviously, is it bred. as voracious as all of them? No. Okay. No. It's it's. I mean, it's fairly voracious, but. No, not as... You can control it. What is voracious? Well, you know, is it going to take over the house? Oh, right, okay. (laughs) And pull pull down the pergola or... We we have plenty of roses like that, yes. Yes, and the purple heart and burgeon will break a fence if you put it through a wooden fence. Yes. But this other one is also rather gorgeous. This is Marianthus. It's a, a red evergreen climber, which is, I think, from... I think it's from um, Western Australia. Mm. And it's a very, very pretty little thing. And this actually came from... There's an Indigenous nursery in the, in, um, in the parks around the Yarra. Okay. And it came from there. So I would say that this is Indigenous to this part of Melbourne. And I think it's... it's I, you don't often see it around, but it's a very pretty thing. No, I've never heard of it. Marianthus erubescens. It's in the Pitostrum family. And there's a lot of them. And, um, yes, and this one is definitely endemic to southwest Western Australia. Okay, and it's actually a vine. Yep. Oh, it, it's a climber. A twining shrub, they call it, but it's a climber. How far will it go, Virginia? Well, like, I, I don't know. I've only, it's only been in for a couple of years. But, it's it, again, it's like, it's like the Pandaria Wonga Gold. It's not too aggressive. I like some vines that are not too aggressive. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm quite happy with the really aggressive ones, but I've, I've just planted one that is, will get to 50 feet and I've put it on a tree and the tree won't survive. But, you know, hmm. if it survives, 
good oak, but I also like to have some of the smaller ones, mm. more delicate mm. ones, climbing up things that aren't as big. Where fact. have you got that one growing? I've got it just growing. Uh, it's going up a um, up one of my trellises. Okay. Because I've got a whole lot of uh, triangle things just potted through the garden and I've got clematis on most of them and I, and I'm, this is going through one of the clematis. Okay. It's so easy to fall into the trap when we, I suppose, planting things that you don't have a lot of, like climbers, to just plant the kind of tried and tested things, mm. isn't it? But, yeah, that, that's a very sweet little sort of bell-shaped orange flower and, um, yeah, very um, nice deep green um, ovate leaves. Yes. Yeah, very pretty. And, and is it, is it um, evergreen? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and I don't... And some evergreen plants are really nice in your garden. I don't have a lot of evergreen. I've tended to concentrate on things that will come up now. Like I've got so many South African bulbs particularly <laughs> that just go to bed in February. Because yeah. <laughs> February is the time when I really have trouble keeping the, the garden going. Mm-hmm. And so anything that goes to bed in February I like. So my, at the moment I've just got bulbs out everywhere and then they just come in waves. We've got bulbs everywhere too, and I'm not exactly sure where they came from. They, I don't know if they came in with compost or something, but they, we've got daffodils and little snowbells popping up all over the place. And, uh, yeah, I think um, they just – I don't who knows how they spread around. But um, Well, if you, if, if you drive around some of our local roads, you'll see freesias popping up yes, everywhere yes. too. They've become so weedy. Garden escapees. Yes. Yeah. There's a, um, at Point Lonsdale, the cemetery is just completely full of freesias. Mm just escaped mm. and you, you do see ixias oh you the see yellow, a lot of ixias around too, the yes. but my my blue green ixias are about to come out and they are so beautiful absolutely wonderful and of course the watsonia which is another south african one that's well escaped. that's a that's escaped well mm. and truly too again yeah. that's that's all through the bush in eltham yes, yes. not good well both of these uh, well, no, they're native, but this one comes from southwest Australia. I mean, and really, if it, you had a New Zealand vine, it could be closer. Mm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> True. Yeah. But this other one I just think is absolutely beautiful. This is the Dodonia, the hop bush, which is in the soapberry family. And it, the Dodonia is the largest genus in that family. And there's 70 Australian species. And I have this one, and it's big in my gravilla bed. And I've got to, Sue propped me one, and that's about to go in. And I bought one at Karanga recently, and that's going in because they just are so beautiful now. So I just, and it's it's a very feathery leaf, like a very very delicate rosemary, and then and then the seed pod, which is what we're looking at, is it looks like a, a delicate red flower, but it's actually the seed pods. And because it's the seed pods, it just goes on and on and on. How tall is it? Oh, mid-chest. Okay. I think, yeah. So a metre and a half. Yes. <laughs> For those who don't know how tall you are. <laughs> I was thinking four feet, trying to think how to change it yeah, over. When I was looking at the um, the seed pods, it sort of reminded me a little bit of the um, Baronia megastema, which um, I've got just in a pot in the shade house at the moment. And, of, of course, as we know, Baronias are, you know, one of those potentially drop-dead plants um, that supposedly like really good drainage. However, I noticed that mine was sitting in a pot that contained about three centimetres of water oh. because it's in the shade house and, is, you know, it just 
been rained on and, and I haven't emptied it. And it's flowering beautifully. And I, it just goes I, to show that they don't necessarily need I've that. I've got really a baronia in the garden. I mean, I don't know how many I've planted over the years and they've all died. And I've got this one and it just goes on and on yep. year after year. And it's just come into flower and it's absolutely mm. beautiful. The pink ones seem to be a bit hardier. Yeah. I've noticed. Yeah. And I think, I think there might be some grafting going on. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I think there might be with the baronias because I know that, yeah, I know the breeders are doing some work on them and, and there are hardier ones available. I did notice at the uh, at the um, Native Flower Show yesterday in Eltham that they had some grafted baronias oh, there okay, so they for are. sale. Yep, so, yep. yes, they are grafting them. Yep. Which is really fantastic because a baronia itself as a perfume is just oh, it's quite uniquely isn't it? Australian, isn't it? Mm. Yes. It really is. Mm. And I think it's an absolutely glorious perfume. Mm. Mm. I've got so much, um, so many smelly things in the garden at the moment. I mean, the Daphnes are absolutely gorgeous, mm. and they are, you know, big and beautiful. And um, and then I've got a budlia, a winter flowering budlia. I think it's salvifolia. It's a South African one, and it's got the most beautiful, beautiful scent. Mm. And it's just coming into flower now. Mm. And I'll prune it with a chainsaw if I can get prune it before any of the birds nest in it I'll get get it down because it just grows 15 feet translation please 15, <laughs> 15 feet in a year so yes. you, it really does but it's, it's just there looking purple smelling wonderful and then I've got this other plant called Salago growing next to it which is just a mass of purple and it's just beautiful and it's all pale lilacly purple like your um, ear- earphones Pam oh okay <laughs> Pam's got purple ears. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's so good. Yep. Um, we've had a listener ring in wanting to know, Graham, if you still have carpet roses available. Yes, we certainly do. And we have carpet roses other than the more conventional ones. There's seven in that collection that were li- released by Anthony Tesla. Yep. But we've got other varieties as well. We've got an orange that's not in the uh, that series. And we've also got some yellows. Um, yes, the answer to the question is yes. Okay. And someone was asking about a no-dig dig, dig garden up on the panel. Yes, yes. What do you know about no-dig gardens, Virginia? Well, I think there's an absolute logic to a no-dig garden because if you mm. dig too much, you're... You're, you're not dis- disturbing your soil structure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Esther Dean was big on the... Oh, the, yes. I mean, I mm. mean, she was really the one who sort of came up with it in mm-hmm. a way, wasn't she? That's and, right. Yeah, with, with the whole idea of being not disturbing the... Um, any of the fungi that that's in the soil, and I mean, it, it's a very hard principle to do, um, to, you know. But I I totally understand that you don't want to disturb the soil, you don't want to bring those new weed seeds up to the surface by doing that. But um, I I do understand the principles behind it. But it's for for gardeners, I think, especially for vegetable gardening, it's mm. it's a very hard principle to follow. But it it does. Um make you think twice before you get a harrow or something out and just mm-hmm. go and really you know and and when I first started gardening they used to tell us to to dig the whole bed to a double spade oh depth. that's yeah. right you had to turn things over, over. Yes. and that's and, that's a, certainly an old concept yeah. and I do think that I mean I dig of course I, mm. I like I just moved to Montanoa on Thursday and you know, that Montanoa grows 20 foot in a year and I think it's going to survive, but I had to dig a very big hole to get it out and a very big, big hole to get it in. So that I'm digging. Yeah. But I only dig where I have to dig. I don't dig in the way that 
we used to in Britain where we, you'd just go and dig up the whole bed and turn it all over. Mm. Mm. But was but, that more for vegetable gardening than for ornamental plants? Well, I mean, because really, when ornament, unless you're preparing a um, herbaceous border or something. But if you're preparing a border, that was yeah, the if you're thing. preparing you go, the border, you but, go for you know, double spade depth. Yeah. Whereas in actual fact, if you do that, you are really going to disturb the soil structure. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of my one of my rules that I carry around in my head is I mustn't dig too much if it's really wet, mm-hmm. for the same reason yeah. because yes, you're exactly. you'll Destroyed. be destroying your soil structure. Exactly. The challenge we have is that that the unseen microbes and the life in the soil um, is hard for us to understand yeah. because we've, you know, hey, mate, we're, we're all conditioned with seeing is believing, you know, mm. as seen on television. For those people out in, in, in the listening world, a no-dig garden is, vert, is, is layers of different um, uh, growing media. In other words, you can bring some manure in, then put another layer of, say, lucerne, and then maybe a layer of some soil, and then repeat that again, and then put some compost in there for principally, um, as AB is talking about, to grow vegetables. And that's fine for vegetables because their root system doesn't need to go on and on and on. Once the vegetable's finished and harvested, then you do away with the vegetables. And, and they're it, quite shallow-rooted too, mm, vegetables. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's a great idea if you do have um, very poor soil, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't want or, – or difficult soil that's difficult to work. You don't, mm. you don't or you, you can't work it over, you know, mm. where, where we are. It's just rocky clay. Mm. Um, so, you know, having a raised vegetable bed, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, my vegetable beds are raised to hip height and they are uh, the bottom half of that is just straw and newspaper layered, 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 layered. Mm. And then I put in some soil, then I put more straw, then I put in sheep poo and then I put some more soil. Well, and, the, and, and I don't, I mean, I don't dig that. That's an excellent example of a, of a no-dig garden. Mm. Yep. And, and it doesn't have to be on carpet. Or even on newspaper, it can be above the soil, and the soil soil could be as hungry as a dog, or as 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 rocky as anything. But that lifted up layers is what things grow in. Well, I put it on all that newspaper. I mean, I had mm-hmm. my neighbours collecting newspapers. I used to go in. I, I'd go everywhere collecting newspapers mm-hmm. when I was doing these to start with, and then pea straw because mm. to have put soil in for sort of the first three foot would have just been a waste of money because the vegetable roots were never going to go and and it sinks down of course Mm. and then I start again in goes more newspaper in in goes more pea straw in goes more sheep poo in goes a bit of soil on top so the biggest challenge with a no gig garden is to keep the moisture and the newspaper certainly helps you Mm. yeah it helps you goes a long way and the other thing you see people doing now is actually growing vegetables straight into pea straw Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which you is can grow not- them straight into straw bales. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Which is a really good thing, interesting thing to do. Mm. Yeah. Neil Douglas famously um, demonstrated growing vegetables on top of concrete. Oh, I did mm-hmm. not know that. Yes. Mm. We yes. Used, we used to do. When I lived in Sydney, we grew vegetables on concrete because we had we were renting. We had a little backyard, and so and we did a no dig. We yep. went up. Yeah, you simply build it up, mm-hmm. as we've been talking about, in your layers mm-hmm. on top of the concrete because the roots don't have to get down mm. that mm. deep mm. and um, off you go. Yeah, I mm. guess, yeah, as Graham was saying, the, the most important thing there would be to keep the water up to it. Yeah, because it's that's not the biggest being challenge. Able to, especially mm. on concrete, it's not being able to draw up water from, mm. from the right. soil below. But, you know, mine is so high, my biggest weed problem in my, in my you know, hip height vegetable gardens 
are the potatoes that come up through all the all the all the everything underneath the potatoes. They just mm. where the hell they bloody come from? Mm. Well, they come from all the um, little scraps that you throw out. Your yes, potato peelings with exactly eyes right. in them. Yeah. 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 No, but I don't. I don't put. I don't put compost on this at all. Mm. Yeah, and we, they still. Yeah. We have, we have potatoes in. popping up all over the place and, um, yes, Ray and I have fights about which ones are allowed to stay in and which ones have to be dug out. Yes. But yes, don't, don't need potatoes through the entire garden. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm delighted to say that uh, online we have uh, Robin Rosenfeld, who's the editor of Pip Magazine. Good morning, Robin. Good morning. How are you this morning? Well, all well, thank you, and uh, it's great to be able to talk to you. Yeah. Now, uh Firstly, for listeners that don't know anything about PIP magazine, PIP is actually the magazine for Australian permaculture, isn't it? Yep, that's right. So it's all about permaculture and all things related to permaculture. So it's not just strictly permaculture. It's anything that's permaculture related. Okay. So how long's the magazine been uh, running for now? Uh, coming up to four years now. Right. So, yeah, we started off doing two issues a year. Now we're doing three issues a year. Mm-hmm. And we're just about to put out issue nine. Okay. Well, well done. Yeah. Now, Australian permaculture itself, tell us a little bit about the organisation. Well, it's not an organisation as such. It's more, a, it's just a gr- lots of people who are practising permaculture and um, doing it in their own space. So, and there are lots of groups around the country. Lots right. of little groups, big groups. There is an organisation called Permaculture Australia. Yes. But really it's like-minded people who are practising permaculture in there. Because it's not, one thing that is often misunderstood, it's not just about gardening and land use. It's actually something you can apply to all aspects of life. So it's to do with community, to do with education, all sorts of things. So... Okay, well, I've noticed you cover a very wide range of topics um, in the magazine. Perhaps you could uh, tell listeners a little bit about what's in the latest magazine that's out. Well, the latest one that came out um, was we had a goat special. So we had lots of articles about goats. We had an article about a goat cooperative in Melbourne, uh, basically just in a suburban or urban backyard. They've got some goats and all people from all like there's a group of them there's about 20 of them that come and milk them on different days and take their milk home and things like that fantastic yeah and the issue that's coming out it's a it's got a bit of a seaweed water feature so we've got articles about seaweed we've got aquaponics natural swimming pools and then all sorts of other things we always have so we've got different sections we've got grow build eat nurture make thrive design so we look at all aspects of life from community groups and how practical how to's about how to do things so the next issue we've got something on crop rotation mm-hmm. um we've got how to make a natural swimming pool last issue we had something that had a, a knit a beanie and beanie pattern so yeah we've got all sorts of things we try and have a good mix of practical information along with inspiration like inspiring stories about people and what they're doing Fantastic. Now, I notice you always have a, a regular kids patch. Yeah, and, we do. Yes, which is wonderful. And uh, I noticed that in this in this uh, most recent magazine, you also talk about bush schools, which is becoming um, quite popular. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think people are just 
more and more becoming disconnected in their lives from... I mean, I think in the past it was just natural. We'd go and play in the bush or play outside. And I think now, especially with screens and things like that, kids are just spending more and more time indoors. So it's about kind of consciously making time for kids to go and just be in nature. And it's not sort of about telling them what to do, <coughs> excuse me, in nature. It's just letting them go and play and be have unstructured play and find out what they want to do, just follow their own instincts and interests. Mm, mm. Now, I've, I've been on the website and um, you actually have quite a, a, a range of, of things available. For instance, you, you do a seasonal guide there, I noticed. Um, you have things like podcasts and blogs. Um, yeah, yeah. So the website's very active. We have a few blogs go up every week and they're sort of all from all sorts of things, but a lot of them are pretty informative, how to do things and recipes and things like that. And, yeah, we do podcasts and, yeah, we've got a seasonal gardening guide. We've got... And we've also got a shop, so we sell things like books, permaculture books, gardening books, natural building books, mm-hmm. as well as tools and, and things seeds like that. And, yep. Seeds and honeybee wraps and tea towels and all that Fantastic, sort of yeah. And you also run some courses. Yeah, we do. We do occasionally um, when we can squeeze them into everything else. Where Whereabouts do you run the courses Well, they're from? usually held in Pambula at my place in Pambula. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we sometimes have events in Melbourne, but um, yeah, they're usually up here. So we've got a natural cheese making one I've just lined up, so I haven't got the details on the website yet. But okay. Yeah, that should be interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Now, tell us how um, how people... Well, firstly, how do people get to the website? So it's www.pipmagazine.com.au mm-hmm. is the website. And also um, we sell Pip in shops, selected stockists. So we've got quite a few in Melbourne. And also it's in newsagents as well. And oh, if it's it is not a newsagent. newsagent, you've got to tell them to get it in. <laughs> okay, okay. And and people can actually subscribe to the magazine. Yeah, so online you can subscribe and, yep, get it delivered to your door. Okay. It's always best because you get it before everyone else. Yeah, of course. And you said at the moment you have three coming out each year. Yeah, yep, yep. So I'm just, I've just put it together the last pages of issue nine and that'll be out in October. Excellent. Okay, yeah, so, that's yeah, so if, if people want to get hold of the next one, they could uh, ask their local news agent to yeah. uh, look out for it and get it in for them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Hey, yep. Robin, it's AB here. So I know that you mentioned that uh, permaculture is about more than just gardening, but from a gardener's perspective, what would you say are some of the main principles that um, permaculture people try to adhere to? Well, I guess it's about design. So rather than just having a whole lot of disparate elements in your garden that don't connect to one another it's about making a design so things support each other like in nature Mm -hmm. so in nature you don't kind of just have a tree that exists on its own it has a whole lot of functions and other plants support it and it's the same in permaculture you try and set up your garden and like a chicken's a great example we kind of have that as a bit of a symbol in some ways that because a chicken is part of a system so you feed it your scraps and then it digs around in the garden, it eats weeds, it eats um, bugs, it, and then it turns your, it, your scraps into manure and into eggs. Then you can put your manure back into your compost and then put it into your garden. 
then you grow more food, you eat the food, they get the scraps, and it's kind of a closed cycle system. Yep. So it's about creating systems that are self-supporting mm-hmm. so that you don't have to buy in all your manure, to throw all your scraps out. It gets rid of waste and it stops you having to buy things as well. And it's also about the placement of things in your garden. So you don't want to have your veggie garden way down the back of your garden. You want to have it up near the door where it's easy to get to. You want your compost bin to be out of, you know, not too close that it's smelly, but have that near your veggie garden so you can put it straight on your compost. Have your chooks quite close so that you can feed them on your way out the door so that everything's linked and connected to each other. Sounds like common sense gardening to me. It is really, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I've heard the sort of saying, you know, it's common sense, but it's not that common anymore. No, that, that's so true. But what uh, for people who just want to have an ornamental garden, is there any room for permaculture principles there? Yeah, I think definitely, because I mean, all trees still need, all plants need, they need nitrogen and they need things to help them grow. So it's about um, planting trees that will support one another. So, mm-hmm. I mean... It, we do this in an orchard, but you could do it with any trees. Have trees, little plants underneath larger trees that will help support it. And you might have flowering plants that will, well, this is more to do with getting the fruit to pollinate, but that attract bees to your garden and mm-hmm. then, yeah, and place them around your garden so that things can, that those trees can break down and then create a mulch underneath the tree so you don't need to water it as much and, and have it, you can have swales and things which actually catch water and hold it in the ground rather than having it running off. So yep. all those ideas can still apply whether you're wanting to eat the produce from the trees or not. Fantastic. And I guess also it's about creating that sort of um, cycle for the native fauna as well. So although you're not necessarily eating things from the garden, there's plenty that that is. Yeah, yeah. So planting trees that will attract birds and attract bees and encourage those and have spaces for lizards have some water out that lizards can get to have some rocks around that they can hide under and things like that as well sounds fantastic excellent it, it really does sound like common sense gardening it is yeah it is. yeah but Very looking at so. it in in a holistic approach it is and it's about design as well so actually consciously thinking about the placement of things and yeah how you're going to put things yeah and looking at which way the sun's coming and the winds and all of that sort of thing as well. Mm. And which trees are deciduous. I mean, it might be, you know, you might have a deciduous tree near your house that's going to shade it in summer, but then in winter when you want the sun coming in, it loses its leaves and lets it in and warms up the house more. Or it might be an an eating area outside that can be shaded at one time of the year and let the sun in and the others. Excellent. Okay, what do the magazines retail for, Robert? So they're eleven ninety five, right? And yeah, subscriptions are thirty three for a year, and you get three issues a year. Excellent. Okay, and and as you said, you can you can uh, uh, go uh, to the website and find all the details there. Yep, definitely, it's all on there, and there's lots of information there too about gardening and all sorts of things. And lots Excellent. of podcasts too to listen to, which are good. Fantastic. Okay. Well, all the best with the magazine. Okay. Well, Congratulations for me, that you're, um, you know, you're, you're really building it up now and, and hopefully yeah. it's, it's going to be one of those magazines that will be around for a long time. Yeah, I think so, definitely. Excellent. Okay. Thanks for okay, talking thanks to us. Okay. Thanks for the chat. Okay. Bye. Bye.
Now we do, uh, Robin did uh, very graciously give us some packs uh, for our Radiothon. We do actually have two packs um, still available to our listeners. Now each pack contains four of these magazines and uh, they all come in uh, a tote bag as well. We have uh, those two packs, uh, they're going for $40 uh, per pack. So if you would like to have the chance to grab one of those two packs that we have, um, as I say, you'll get four magazines in there plus the tote bag. Um, Do give Liz a call now on 94190155. If you want to pop into the station before we go off air, you could collect it this morning. Otherwise, um, you could collect it from the station during business hours during the week. But if you'd like to grab one of those two packs, um, 94190155. If somebody wanted in the Yarra Valley wanted it, they could collect it from me, of course. Okay, okay. Well, there's another option as well. Fantastic. All right. Um, let's have a chat about some of the stuff you've brought in too. Oh, Maybe. Yes, sure. Well, I have been um, prepping garden beds for... Um, produce that is going to be I suppose long standing Um, for a few years we had a terrific asparagus bed Um, eventually that got completely overrun with cooch Um, who knows how because we don't have cooch but anyway it was there and completely took over the bed and was extremely frustrating so we literally ripped the whole lot out and I've just been preparing a new asparagus bed which um, will be a standalone bed because of course asparagus you know lasts for 20 years probably more that's right um the asparagus plant so and it's not too late to um be digging over a bed for for an asparagus bed now you know any time up till november um asparagus plants are they prefer that soil temperature to be around 16 to 30 degrees um when you put it in um so i've got some i did buy some asparagus seed because i thought i'll grow a few plants but it's a really long bed so i've got a couple that i'm putting in so i've i've prepped the soil I've dug it over, um, put in plenty of organic matter and manure and whatnot, and um, then I'll create uh, a couple of trenches down the length of the bed, um, probably about um, 20 centimetre deep trenches, and um, then I'll put a little mound at the bottom of each one and put the crowns in. So I've got um, a few um, crowns, and then I've got a few um, plants that are actually growing and I'll probably put them all in and then um, plant some seeds as well. So I've, I've gone for um, um, Mary Washington, which okay. is one of the um, older varieties and it more is. common varieties and yes. um, very well producing, um, just ye typical green spears. And I've also gone for um, the purple bastard, just so that I can say bastard on radio. But Listeners will remember that, won't yeah, they? Yeah, they will, yeah. But apparently uh, I didn't realise the purple um, bastard is actually has got a higher sugar content than um, the, the green asparagus. I found the purple one is um, actually less productive. Oh, okay. Than the, I've got Washington... The purple one, and I've also got something called fat bastard. So there you go okay, again. Well, you but go. that produces much fatter spears. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've just found the purple one is not quite as as productive. Does the purple one taste different? Oh, not really. If you, if you had the two together, maybe slightly. But I I don't find there's all that much difference personally. I've got asparagus coming up, ready 
now. I, I'm surprised it's been so cold, but the asparagus is... Uh, I looked at it yesterday and thought, oh, hell, I better give you some food. Yes. Have you got a separate see, bed for it? See, she's only, she's only bragging about her coming up now, like us, <laughs> us other people. Well, I find the asparagus we have it likes to be well-fed with good compost. Very well-fed. Mm. Yes. They're very hungry plants. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Mm. I usually just throw a bag of sheep poo or cow poo on it. Mm. Mm. We'll, we'll put compost in with, with a sprinkling of rock minerals as well to bring up that minerals in them. Yes. Yeah. And two things I didn't realise about asparagus is, one, they come from maritime regions, so they don't mind a higher saline content in the soil. Mm-hmm. And apparently some people use a bit of salty water to control the weeds around them because, again, they don't like have, you know being um, disturbed, having the, the crowns disturbed, so, you know, a bit of hand weeding. But I, um, I wouldn't like to start no, putting salt in No, of course, because it, it's not going to be terrific for the soil. But if no. you're not growing anything else in the bed yep. and, you know, they're taking it up and, and um, transpiring it, hmm. to me, uh, you know, a, a little bit of salt, you just... Be in, it'll be interesting to have a bit of an experiment. Yeah, with that. absolutely. And the but other, uh, sorry, a word of warning to listeners: don't let it go to seed because it will spread throughout your garden, and you just get, have to go up into Queensland, northern New South Wales, to see what asparagus is as a weed. Mm. Okay, and those little yellow, like fennel is for us. Yes, like those those little 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 yellow pods have spread all over our garden, and we've been busy the last two years just pulling them all out. And uh, it will certainly spread. Mm. Well, I mean, there is, as many listeners will know, there's that difference between the male plants and the female plants. And the male plants are meant to produce the fatter um, spears. And the female plants, although you can still harvest the spears, they're apparently, you know, much smaller and, and, and thinner. And they are the plants obviously that will produce the berries the red yes. berries which yes. you can then That's right. harvest and um and grow on yourself if you want to have a have a go at growing from seed um but yeah the other thing that i um wasn't aware of with asparagus is that um you can use them as a companion plant for tomatoes mm-hmm. or vice versa because mm-hmm. apparently the tomatoes um help repel the asparagus beetle right and the asparagus helps repel uh nematodes that affect tomatoes okay so that is something else i'm going to do is put a couple of tomato plants in okay there you go. you'd need a bit of room oh we've got my bed is probably um two meters wide by about one two three four five six meters long okay so pretty long and that's um, a lot of asparagus it is yes. a lot of asparagus yeah well we do like asparagus and, and <laughs> everyone likes asparagus so got to got to give it away but uh yeah so these plants i won't be harvesting them um, you know, well, the one that's actually in in leaf now, um, I'll probably harvest some of that next year. But the the crowns that I'm putting in, I won't harvest. For no, a don't of years. harvest them yeah. for a couple of years. Let them build up. Yeah, yep. and and there seems to be, you know, some people say, oh, you know, when the um, fern starts developing, cut it off. And then other people say, no, when the fern starts developing, just leave it and and wait till it dies down in winter. So. Obviously, people I do have got die down. Ideas. Yeah. Yes, I do die down yeah, as well. Yeah, because to me, um, you want that plant to be photosynthesizing and you know getting as much and, energy and nour- as it can and the yeah. nourishment back yeah. in under yeah. the ground. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's nothing like growing your own too, because it does taste different to what you get from other places in supermarkets. And, and it's things. not cheap either. That's not an illusion. Mm. I'm convinced of that. We mm. grow quite a bit of it ourselves. Okay. Yeah. Do you yeah. have separate beds? Uh, we've Just got two big clump areas mm-hmm. in amongst the roses. Yep. Oh, 
Yep. Everything's got to be in amongst the roses yeah, in your yeah, place, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> they all have but to make a, room for the yeah, roses. It's a, it's a very attractive plant to have in your garden. It really is. It's really quite attractive. But I've, I've learned my lesson about the seed pods, mate. Don't let them go. Yeah. And Just also weeding. I'm, I'm yes, going to be absolutely – Get the weeds out. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yep. Keep the weeding up the entire time. Yes. Just, yeah. Yep. Good. They uh, are. Wealth you, of information here from 3CR Garden <laughs> Show. <laughs> are you going to put in rhubarb as well? Uh, well, we have rhubarb, and that sort of just sits there and does its thing under the lemon tree, and we don't really take much notice of it, and still it just keeps giving us... I think rhubarb's wonderful. I've put it mm. in in three different places in the garden because I just... I love it. How do you cook it? I, ju- I, I put orange juice in with it. Oh, uh, there you cook go. Cook it in orange juice. Yes. I just... I don't know why. I just started mm. doing that at some stage. Mm. Um, so I don't put any water in with it, and I do put sugar in because mm. it... It needs it. Mm. And then I tend to eat it with yogurt in my oh, yeah. breakfast go, cereal. Go, go for yogurt. Mm. Yeah. I love yogurt and I love rhubarb. Yeah. I've got a mother-in-law that's a, a rhubarbaholic. <laughs> <laughs> she cooks it up and does it the German way. How does she do it? Oh, she cooks it up and, and um, she uses lemon juice in with it mm. and definitely some sugar. But oh, I'm trying to get around a way of not using as much sugar. Because it is tarty, that, isn't for it? me, that's the problem as well with yeah, rhubarb and, yeah. and some other fruits. You just you end up putting so much sugar yeah. in, and just like, oh, you know, you yes. might as well sit and eat chocolate for yeah. dinner. So, <laughs> so, do you Breakfast. find you need as much sugar when you use the oranges in it? Well, I think that's why I started using the orange, mm-hmm. yeah, because mm-hmm. I've got you know, as you know, I've got about 25 lemon trees, so to mm-hmm. use lemons is easy. Mm-hmm. But I've and I've got one of my lemon trees has got an orange branch, and when mm-hmm. that comes into fruit, I always um. Pick rhubarb at the same time. One of her lemon trees has got an orange branch. You know, <laughs> get your mind around that, listeners. <laughs> She's very versatile, this lady. It's been double grafted, has it? Yeah, it's, oh, a, it's, it's how it came. See, I mean, I didn't do it. It was there. And it would definitely be a Seville, a Seville orange. It's a lovely orange. Yes, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's not a, so it's not a Seville orange because no, it's, it's very tasty. Yes, And okay. Seville oranges are so sour. All right, okay. There you go. <laughs> so it's an, a, a non-Seville orange in Seville. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Okay, we've also got uh, a listener wanting to talk about asparagus. We're going to Lee, who's out in Merrick's North. Good morning, Lee. Morning, panel. Morning, Virginia. Good morning, Lee. Um, My asparagus patch was here when I came here 18 years ago. Okay. It's been coming on all that time. How long do you think you can get out of an asparagus patch, or should you rip it out from time to time and start again? Lee, mine predates me, and it's still, I think as long as you feed it, you just keep going. Yours looked fine when I looked at it. Two weeks ago. Because I let some of my um, females go to seed and have the red berries and let them fall back, thinking, well, I'll get a few new plants and that'll keep sort of renewing the stock. But um, I'm not getting as good a performance in recent years as I got in the beginning. Are you still feeding them up, Lee? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're surrounded by two here of various sorts. (laughs) Unless you're getting more females taking over the bed um, because you you keep putting the seed... The berries I, back. Yes, I let some of the red berries fall back in the trash. Yes. Yeah, so and do do you get do you, do you find them weedy at all, Lee? Uh, Has it travelled? Uh, no, not very. No, what outside the patch? No, yeah, right. no, no. I haven't had got asparagus coming up everywhere at all. I know that some people do say pull out the female plants. So I mean, that's yes, I've heard s- that too. But I've I've 
kept mine You've in. you kept yours, yeah. Yes. Yeah, just... I've heard Stephen say that he uses the small ones, and so do I. I just throw them in with stir-fries and various yeah. other yes, things. Yes, I, I do don't too. Care. Yeah, exactly. But the, I mean, Leah, I have been doing a bit of reading, and then, you know, some asparagus plants are meant to last, you know, 20, 30 years. Mm. Well, mine really have, I suppose, done 20 years. They were here when I came 18 years ago. So okay. that's what I was getting concerned about. Maybe it was time to start again. Hmm. That's a, what, what I would do is um, you've got room, start a bed somewhere else. Yeah, okay. I because, probably will. Because It'll take it is... a couple of years to get it up and going Exactly, anyway. yeah. yeah. And I, mean, I suppose that's the sensible thing, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yes. Okay. Thank you very much for that. Okay. Bye. Bye. In fact, I think I might do that. I might because my asparagus bed, I've no, it's in a very peculiar position and I've no idea how old it is, so it would be a good idea to start another one. Well, even if you can extend it and add a bit to it gradually mm. and yeah, and then and then start thinning out well, some I've got of a your very, older ones. A very unhappy blueberry which I'm going to move, so yep. I might put asparagus into that spot. Yep, fair enough. Yeah. Graham? <laughs> oh, okay. Right. <laughs> um Yet, well, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. The number, if you'd like to join us this morning, 94190155. We're running through till 9.15, so and we have another half hour, roughly, to go. Um, on air this morning, in the studio, we have A.B. Bishop, Virginia Haywood and Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm, so... Do give us a call. That's interesting, Pam. One of the listeners has rung in and said that they add apple. And I must admit, sometimes I do put apple in my in my rhubarb because it is a... a it's a sweetener. To put anything in that's a sweetener yep. that's not just straightforwardly sugar. And, of course, I've never tried stevia. I would have thought it would be a good time to use stevia mm. because you don't need the sugar. I mean, you can't use stevia in a cake. You need the sugar mm. to, to play a role it has a function as, as not just in sweetening it, mm. but in, in your rhubarb, all you're doing is, um, is sweetening it. So apple and another listener suggests star anise with the sugar. Yes, which would be wonderful. I, I often, always put in something like star anise. I often use vanilla sugar Yeah, when I'm doing it. Yep. And a number of my friends who eat my rhubarb have all got much less sweet tooth than I mm. have. So Cinnamon I'm, too. Yes, I'm using less and less as mm. I go along. But the other thing is that none of you have mentioned is that you can use it, um, and I first learnt this from Jamie Oliver, you can actually, um, if you're going to be baking um, something like a, a roast pork or a roast chicken, you can actually layer the base of your baking dish with um, rhubarb. rhubarb stalks, yes, and then um, bake your meat on top of that. And then, of course, you you automatically have your your, your rhubarb gravy to go with the meat, and it it combines beautifully. Or any I of your never game would have meats. Thought of that. Yeah, so you can use it in a more savoury context. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can make rhubarb chutneys if you want something yes. else to go with with meat. Um, and I've I also have made uh, for a couple of years running. I've made a, a rhubarb jam, which which combines it with oranges with your citrus and um, again those same um, spices we were talking about like your cinnamon and your star anise and it makes a beautiful jam. That's a good one. I really like the Jamie Oliver idea. Well, give it a try. Yes. I mean it's it's experiment but mm. um, it works really well and you, you could even add on top of the rhubarb stalks you could even add some sliced oranges and then place your meat on the top of that and you would have the most delicious gravy to go with your meat. Yes, it sounds lovely. Or apple. 
Yeah, or Apple. There you go. Or Ray See, not Ray only does the, the gardening uh, show do we have here, but we have a cooking, cooking show. Yeah, and <laughs> Ray does the roast um, chicken cooking in our place. So, yeah. I hope okay. He's listening. And so. We'll even throw in. Think of other fruits. So, think of um, raisins or sultanas or currants, even as a as an augment. Because in in my jam recipe, I also add in currants and I add in pine nuts. And a little bit of liqueur, Cointreau. <laughs> mm, good. So it, it, well, it works brilliantly. Sue has just sent me a text saying her neighbour cooks rhubarb with equal amounts of sultanas to the rhubarb. Yes, there yeah. you go. Yeah, another way Again, of sweetening it. Again, it's a sweetener. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, so um, you can cut right back on the sugar. And, it, and I believe it's so important that if we start to look at nutrition, we have to remember that if we can make a, have a memorable experience with a meal, we're more likely to experiment with foods that are really good for us. And I had one of my early mentors in horticulture and fertilizers had said that to us in reference to our cafe. If you can give people a memorable experience for a meal, they will be return customers to your cafe and to your restaurant. And um, now I'm not, I'm not sort of blowing me bags, but that has played out with our young Ben, who was our chef for 12 years. And now um, the lady that took over the carav- uh, the ca- our cafe um, told me the other morning, she said, we, we have some mornings where we do 80 breakfasts in a morning. Mm. Like the poor devil, she's, you know, like she must, her tongue she's must be out. hanging out. <laughs> and then there was one day where she, where she said she did 180 meals in a day. Mm-hmm. And people come and sit in the garden mm. because they love that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And that's part of this whole part of nutrition you know my generation was boiled spuds um marrow and a bit of pumpkin chucked in a in a in a, in a pot yes. and 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 it was never memorable no you'd, you'd think oh i've got to put Are up you with planting this anything at the moment Pat? In your oh, veggie garden? I've, I've, I've got leafy greens in, lots of leafy greens, but, yeah, it's way too cold. I, I never normally plant out my, my spring vegetables until about October. Oh, really? Yes, because, you see, I'm, I'm so prone to frost still mm. in my area, mm. so I'm a lot colder than, than suburban Melbourne. Um, but, yeah, I've got lots of leafy greens, so I've got spinach and silver beet. Um, I've got coriander, you know. Um, so. Well, coriander... Absolutely something you must plant with seed. Never, ever, ever buy coriander plants. Plant the seed. Because people say, oh, I don't grow coriander because it bolts. Well, the reason it bolts is because you've disturbed the seedlings. Well, and also the hot weather. But mm. but because we've had such a cold winter, mm. I've been able to put – well, I've, I've put it in quite a few weeks ago now, but it's already it's already up and I'm harvesting. And, oh, lovely. And it's it's perfect. And I'll get, I'll get probably another couple of months out of it before it bolts mm. to seed. And I'm quite happy to have some of the seed then. I love the because seed. Because it's great for beneficial insects anyway. And the, I love the seed when it's green. Mm. I put it in my cooking. Green coriander seed is mm. delicious. Mm. Yeah, it's you yeah. can put it in salads yep. as well. It's absolutely delicious. Green yep. coriander mm. seed. Yep. So uh... more tips for your menu coming from the garden <laughs> show. That's excellent. <laughs> and you were saying, um, you know, bring them back for a memorable meal. But yeah. if if you make a memorable meal with your rhubarb, then um, I mean, if people have just heard about recipes and thinking, oh, I'll buy a bunch of rhubarb. If they decide that they really like it, then they might be inspired to actually go out and grow it. So it works yes. both ways. Yes, it works both ways. That yeah. way you've got a permanent supply of rhubarb. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, definitely. Okay, we're going next to uh, Hugh, who's out in Coburg. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning, guys, and thank you for your radio show. It's lovely. Good. 
Fantastic. Do you run courses there? Um, they do. They've started that recently, yep, and it's good stuff, but that's not what I'm saying. Anybody's welcome. Um, anybody that's thinking about it, anybody that wants to learn more about it, um, come along. They've got spare suits. They've got hives to get into, and it's just a wonderful public free um, thing to support people and upcoming beekeepers, and it's important this time of the year because we're coming into swarming season and just learn swarm prevention and... Excellent. They go through the harvesting and the health of the bees and all different aspects and lots of years of experience and lots of questions can be asked by anybody and it's always something new to learn. And And it's wonderful for children to go along and learn a bit about bees and and beehives and and beekeeping. Absolutely, yep. Children, adults, the whole, the broader community for sure. Did Did you find it very difficult when you first decided to have to keep bees? Um, was it a big I, learning experience? It is, yeah. That first year was amazing. Second year, still amazing. My bees took off yesterday and swarmed to my begola post. Oh! Um, so, yes, yeah, it's just a wonderful journey, and I'm really thoroughly enjoying it. And for those people that want to learn more about it or want to get into it, I just want them to know, because it's not necessarily a known thing, but there's something in Melbourne that is open to the public and is an excellent way to learn and actually get your hands into the bees and overcome the fears or learn some more. Fantastic. And Hugh, am I correct in that um, spring is the time if you're wanting to set up a new hive, it's it's the right time to do it? Um, Coming, yeah, like talk to people about ordering your nuke. They're very popular and that's a small colony. And then, yeah, in the coming months for sure, um, a hive should be available if people get organised. And Hugh, could you just tell people where Collingwood Children's Farm is? Collingwood Children's Farm? Mm. Uh, Well, not everyone will know. No, and I'm not... Anyway, I'll give it a go. Uh, Collingwood, uh, Abbotsford at Collingwood. Abbotsford, exactly. Yep. Um, just where Johnson Collingwood. Street turns into, what does it turn into? Mm. Just where Johnson Street's about to go over the river. The river. Yep. Yep, that's it, yep. So it's like a, a right-hand turn into the convent there. Um, yep, so... Cause you can't miss the building. It's a landmark building. And you it's, spot it's it so, from the road. I remember take, when I first moved back to Melbourne, I remember taking Sylvie to Collingwood Children's Farm and she was just blown away. Mm. She thought it was the best thing. And they have a wonderful farmer's market there once a month as mm. well. Yep. Hugh, I did a, um, a day bee course up at Edendale Farm in Eltham and one of the things that I learnt which really blew my mind away was um, the drone congregation areas. Wow. And, and, you know, where they sort of I had no idea that, you know, every few kilometres um, all the drones congregate up in the air um, waiting for the queens to arrive. Yeah, recently emerged queen. That's yeah, it. yeah, because it's not something that you think about, really, is it? How do no. they do their dating? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you get to the children's farm, it's not actually the children's farm. We walk down the bike path a couple of hundred metres. Yes. And you'll find the apiary on the right-hand side, and, yeah, it's just it's all marked, so it's not too hard to find once that interest is sparked. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Hugh. No, thank you for everything, too. And with the, um, the spraying of the 
peach trees and the nectarines and things with the copper. Yep. Um, is it like too late once they've opened up a flower or two? Or is that when you do do it? They say no, you do it. You should do it the before flower. they've opened. Before, as before soon as those buds yep. um, start to look pink. Right. So okay. you might might have to wait till next year, Hugh. Yeah. No, I do understand. I just sort of try and iron that one out for people because I don't know yeah, when to do it. <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Really Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Next up, we're going to go to Wendy out in Rosebud. Good morning, Wendy. Wendy in Mornington, actually. Oh, okay. Um, yes, it was just another contribution about the rhubarb cooking. If you add pear or apple, but definitely put in a piece of finely chopped banana that'll and some finely peeled orange peel, two or three strips, and that will cut the acid. Right. And don't add sugar until you have done the cooking. While it's still hot, put a little bit of sugar in and increasing it until you, and stir that in until you get it as sweet as you'd like. And that way you can reduce the amount of sugar you need. makes a lot of difference. Yeah, excellent Fantastic suggestion. Yeah. And what does the Same ban- for all stewed fruit. Always put the sugar in last. last yes. yes. And what does the banana do, Wendy? Oh, it just helps to break down that acidity. Right. Right. Just makes it a bit more mild on the tongue. And that, of course, is why you add the sugar. Last yes. because it depends on the season of, the, of when you harvest your rhubarb, and it does vary in flavour, and it, it varies in the, in the bitterness or, or sourness of it mm. over the season. So you don't, don't have a standard for sugar. Always add it after. Yeah, wonderful. Excellent. Tip. Yeah, good on you, Wendy. Thank you for that. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. As I mentioned, we're running through until 9.15, so if you'd like to join us this morning with a phone call, do give us that call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Graham, let's talk about the two roses you brought in. Yes, Pam, I've brought one rose in, or two roses in. The first one is a rose called Dark Desire. Now, if we're starting to look at using um, uh, roses and petals in um, in cooking, this would be absolutely ideal, this, this rose, and it's got a fantastic <coughs> perfume. It's bred by Cordy's in Germany. And finally, we've got a dark red rose um, that is really very healthy, which is fantastic. Good. And, of course, knowing the um, trends in the nursery, this would absolutely suit the fellas. Because 95% of fellas buy dark red roses. Can you believe it? I'm buying a dark red rose for my wife and she's going to like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a very good rose, very healthy. And not only is it a dark flower, dark red flower, uh, almost bordering on black, it's also the leaves are very dark in colour. So it's got a contrast in the garden. And the other rose I've bought in is called Earth Angel. Again, from the same breeders as Cordy's in Germany and um, breeding uh, a rose in this series, of course, it's, they call it the Perfume Series. And this also has a fantastic perfume. And, of course, with the name Earth Angel, we find it's very good as a memorial rose for um, yes, of course. anybody that um, you know, has that need. And that's being sent out as a gift rose as well as people can pick them up from, from the nursery. Now, what's the, what's the flower like with that one? Graham? Well, a very old-fashioned flower. Um, I don't know. Would you call that from the, from cabbage-y. the label? A cabbage flower? Mm. Yeah. Very, 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 sort of very pale, uh, if the photo is true, yeah. a very, very pale pink. Pink, yeah. Mm. And very it, soft. And, and it's the sort of shape that um, 
of a rose that when you see it on the bush, you just got to sort of put your nose in it. Kind of make sure a bit peony-like. Yes, a bit peony. Yeah, a mm. good description. But it is one of those roses you want to put your your hooter in or your your, your <laughs> nose in. So uh, very good as a perfume with a perfume. So, Graham, what country um, does the most breeding of roses? Do you reckon? Ah, uh, you're looking you're looking mainly at Germany. Yeah. And um, Holland. Yeah. Um, um, yes, and. Um, they're renowned for for their healthy roses. Of course, Cordy's bred the famous white iceberg, which is still um, a, a so we got them to blame. Yeah, a, <laughs> a milestone. Actually, the the white iceberg is the only rose that will flower on the old wood, so it's actually a freak, and that's why we see so many white flowers uh, on on the iceberg rose. You know, in our landscape because it's just so prolific with the white flowers that it has. Mm. Yeah, so it grows on. Grows flowers on the old wood as well as the new wood. Mm-hmm. And, and what about Australian breeders of ro- roses? Um, yes, we're we're starting to quietly multiply in numbers. Mm-hmm. There's some good roses that have come out. Yeah. Um, as well as um, the my Grey's Blue that was bred from two American roses. Um, yeah, there's quite a few breeders, and of course we've got still got the famous roses from Alistair Clark at Buller. My Nancy Hayward has been in flower for about. Six weeks. Yes. It just looks gorgeous. Yeah, and flowering this time of the year. Yes, yeah. yes. And Alistair Clark set out to do that deliberately to get roses to flower through the winter. Mm. And uh, a man well before his time, and uh, he, he used the rose, um, Rosa Gigantia, which also is very, very drought-tough and drought-tolerant. And Alistair, Alistair Clark's um, garden was at Buller on the edge of the um, granite country, and of course, granite country drains off very quick in the oh, summertime, yes. hugely quick. And um, Alistair Clark, um, uh, mind you, he, he had um, eight gardeners, so um, he had a few f- uh, facilities available to him. But he went down the track, and it takes some doing to gather the seed and 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 grow it on. We've got um, uh, nine trays of seed we're waiting are waiting on now to come up and we're just sort of waiting with bated breath to see if there's any seed do actually come through okay Mm, so we're doing some more breeding excellent yeah okay do we have any hints on what color you don't know till they come up no well with breeding um pam it's all yeah it's it's, it depends on where the bees been if you don't cross-pollinate and what we've got at the moment i I think there's about two varieties I've actually cross-pollinated myself. The rest are just natural. Oh, okay. But I'm heartened by the fact that around about 30% of roses are actually um, come from uh, uh, plants that haven't been deliberately cross-pollinated by, by people, human beings. Yeah. Okay. And what yeah. attributes are you going for? Oh, health and vigour is the first. Mm-hmm. And our, our real milestone there, of course, are the flower carpet roses. They've won 25 awards for them mm. for, for in the rose trials throughout the world and sold 90 million of them yes. worldwide, which is Phenomenal, a remarkable isn't it? thing. I have no trouble growing roses and I got two carpet roses from um, Mifkus when mm-hmm. Anthony Tesla had brought them in mm-hmm. and I put them in the ground and luckily went and looked at them the next day and they disappeared. Mm-hmm. So they are now sitting under under wire. And they are, they've come back, but mm. they just got massively attacked. 
by what rabbits? Rabbits. I don't know whether it was rabbits or possums. Yeah. I always blame the rabbits because I like possums. Or wallabies. Yeah. Have you got wallabies and roos? No, your I have found roos in my front garden the other day. Deer? Yeah. You'd have deer? No, Not I don't. Deer. I only have roos, and I don't have wallabies. Thank God. Because yeah. they are garden eaters. Usually, will be rabbits. And and very early on, the leaves on roses are very sweet. In fact, when I let our fowls out into the nursery, and you know we might have about fourteen come out in the nursery, they'll go and pick the really very new um, rose leaves on the bushes, and you sort of got to get them away, hunt them away because it's it's they're very sweet. They just love them at that stage. Mm. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm hoping that when I can take the cages off these roses soon, but I was I was not happy. No, Jan. fair enough. Yes. Mm-hmm. Graham, a listener wants you to give out the address of the farm, please, and when you're open. Um, we're open officially on Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday, and the, addre- the address is 550 McDonald's Road, Clonbanane, C-L-O-N-B-I-N-A-N-E. And uh, Directions? Go straight up the Hume Freeway and you'll see the Clonbanane turn-off signs. You go up the ramp and across the freeway and you're about 500 metres from there. Okay. You'll see the Silky's Rose Farm signs. And it's well signed. Yes, well yep. signed. Yep. Okay. So that's Clonbanane. Okay. Excellent. Um, all right. Uh, as I mentioned, we are running through until 9.15, so if you want to quickly jump on the phones and ask a question, that number again is 94190155. What else have you got there, AB? Oh, well, I've brought in um, some strawberries, and um, some people might know that I work at a place called Larkman Nurseries, and um, one of my uh, briefs there, I've worked there part-time, and one of my briefs has been to overhaul the um, website mail order company, which is Dyes Delightful Plants, and um, that um, is up and running now. So brand new site. So for all those people that had trouble ordering plants on the old site, um, you can now go and be delighted by the new site. It's fantastic. Um, There's photos of everything and you can um, key in your refinements for your your plants. And um, one of the uh, plants that we've got up there, we're we're trying to really – there's a strong focus on ornamentals, of course, um, and we've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of um, varieties of ornamentals, but we're also um, pushing more into the – edible produce and um, so one of the plants that they're featuring at the moment is the strawberry fragoose so and the fragoose are um, there's pink white and rose and uh, the only difference being the the color of the flower beautiful flower but the thing I love about these strawberries is they are absolutely perfect for hanging baskets Mm. and they just look exquisite they trail really really well and the fruit is big and really sweet and juicy so I'm I've got a bunch and I'm just going to be putting them in hanging baskets because nobody will be able to reach them, um, <laughs> which, of course, in my garden is a really big thing. But, uh, yeah, so if uh, – and we've got uh, these for sale on the website as well. So that's the – And um, what is the website? Strawberries. Oh, it's uh, – um, so the company is Dyes Delightful Plants and it's www.diesdelightfulplants.com.au. And, um, Say again, please. <laughs> Dies delightful plants. Yes. Dot com dot au. Yes. 
Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, so it's been a, a good uh, five month overhaul of the website and. Um, but we've tried to make it as user-friendly as possible. So, you know, and there's things like if you want a, um, just say you're having a wedding in your garden and you want, you know, white flowering plants in whenever, you can key that into the search engine and say, I want white flowering, um, you know, shrubs that are one metre high that flower in September, um, show me what you've got and um, all the plants that we've got. And, and you know, um, the Lightmans, they, they are renowned really for, um, producing and growing a lot of different varieties. So they grow your, your stock standard varieties, but then there's a lot of um, um, produce plants and ornamental plants that are becoming harder and harder to get. Mm. You know, they've got such an incredible range of salvias, for example. Yes, the, so. the strawberries you mentioned, AB, what, what were the different varieties? Um, well, the one that I was talking about was the fragu strawberry, right. and right. Um, the, there's white, pink, and rose. They're called, but the, the di- no. only difference is the flower colour. So if okay. you want they to make all a taste of the, the same. flower colours, they all taste the same. Yes. And they're all yeah, the same big fruit and okay. nice and sweet and and very prolific. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so, uh, I mean you can grow them in the ground or normal containers, but they just look so gorgeous in in the hanging baskets. My only problem with hanging baskets is the watering. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. I just find watering in summer unbearable. So I tend to only grow things in hanging Containers. baskets in winter. Okay. Mm. So, but the strawberries hanging from the hanging basket would keep them out of the dirt and it would be easily to, oh, yeah. easy to harvest. Yeah. It's a great way to grow them. I just think it's, yeah. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And you can always set up a, a watering system. A system. On that's that's yeah. right, yeah. Mm. Or if you've got a long wand or something, mm. yeah, yeah, make yeah. it easy. But, uh, yeah, so that's one of the one of the strawberries that we're featuring. And the, the other one is the um, the big sweetie. Which is quite, you know, very popular. Again, big, big, sweet, juicy fruit. So, um, yeah. So if you hop on the website, there's a lot available. I don't understand what has happened in strawberries. When I moved to the Yarra Valley, there were there was wine everywhere, um, you know, and on the Dandenong side, there was lots of fruit trees, plums, and peaches, and cherries, and blah. Now the wine's getting pulled out, everything's getting pulled out, and hideous, hideous, hideous paddocks of strawberries all wrapped up in black plastic, and it's revolting. And they've tripled, quadrupled the amount of strawberries around. Something has happened to the strawberry market, and the Yarra Valley has become the centre of it. Something's happened to the wine market, there's not the money in it. I know, really but, but oh, they've taken out lemons and putting in strawberries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's extraordinary. That's Everything where the money is, is turning yeah. into. But why? There's, there's still quite a few vineyards out there. <laughs> if you're doing a tour out in the Yarra Valley, don't don't worry. There's still plenty out there. It's not not just the strawberries. Just, what I dislike so much is that they grow them in black plastic. They they kill the soil, yeah. cover it in black plastic, and plant strawberries. Just another monoculture. I've, it's horrible. It's much nicer to grow them. In hanging baskets. If, if we see it from an ornamental point of view and a gardener's point of view, it's quite different to, to see it from a farmer's point of oh, view. Oh, yes. And it's all about survival in the farming world. I'm sorry, it just is. Yes. And um, the se- one season to the next season can be quite variable. And you've got that flexibility with things like strawberries, but you don't have that with wine. You plant and then you've got years it's of... It's a long-term yeah, it's prospect. A, it's yeah. a long thing. Yeah, That's right. So, so then, there might be no strawberries next year, Virginia. They might all have a, a new in vogue crop. Right. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> We've had a listener ring in to say that there's a company that collects swarming bees. Um, it's called Bee Rescuer, 
and uh, they have a website which is B Rescue, but it's spelled just B, just a, the the letter B Rescue, um, all one word. dot com. dot au. So that's good to know that uh, there's a few because uh, certainly we're going to be seeing swarms happening um, very soon. All right. Um, we have not much time left, but you do have some plants left, AB. I do. Well, one specifically, um, I was very excited to see that um, they grew at Larkman's. And it's a it's a plant. I actually use the powder myself. Um, it's a maca. It's called maca powder. And um, it's meant to be very good for balancing out your hormones. And um, um, I can speak from my own experience to say that for me that it actually works quite well and I, I use it as as a, um, a superfood in my smoothies. Um, and I had, you know, looked into growing it myself here and um, I was excited to see that Larkman's actually grow it. And it's, um, it's a brassica and it, it, when it's mature, it sort of looks a little bit like a cross between a turnip and a parsnip. So you grow it for the root itself, which has medicinal properties. And um, it hails from uh, Peru, um, so those, you know, the, the mountain district of the Andes and um, so quite harsh conditions. So I'm, I'm hoping it's going to go okay in the garden here. But, uh, yeah, so it's um, a, a brassica and... Um, and what's its name? Um, Maca. 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 Um, the How do you spell that? Just M-A-C-C-A. Okay. Um, or, or M-A-C-A actually. And it's Lepidium mayenii. Um, so it's a, a herbaceous perennial. And yeah, grown specifically for the root. So, um, and you know, when when you grow it yourself for the root, you can use it as you know a potato, or you can then dry it and and save it for the powder. Mm. And that's lepidium, is it? L- yeah, lepidium. L e p i d i u m. I u m. Yeah. If somebody and wants to look it up. A n e i. And when you say the powder, how what form do, do you get the powder in? Uh, well, I just buy it from the health food shop. Oh, right, okay. It's a very fine powder yes. and you just um, use it in smoothies or on your breakfast cereal or whatever. Right. But, um, okay. Yeah, so I've, I've had very positive benefits from uh-huh. it. You know, I use quite a lot of different superfoods and, you know, some of them you just – you don't know if you're getting any benefit uh-huh. from it. You don't – there's nothing noticeable. But maca is one that actually had, um, yeah, good benefit for me hormonal-wise. So mm. um, something I would recommend. And I thought, well, why not give it a go, growing the plant myself mm. and, and eating the root fresh as well. So um, When I saw it from a distance, I thought you had a carrot in a pot there. Oh. <laughs> So, so you, yes, so, you can, so you can eat the root fresh. You can. How, yeah, how yeah. do you prepare that? Just like potato, or I guess uh-huh. you could chuck it in stir fry. Or yes. you could grate it. Surely could, could grate it. Yeah, I'm mm. sure there'd be um, numerous ways of. Using and Larkmans it. are the only ones that have got it. Well, I haven't seen it anywhere else. I haven't seen it in the big store. No, oh, definitely oh, not. No, 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 definitely no, no, not. No. And you know, I mean, we've also at, up at Larkmans, we've got the farm gate sales. Mm. Um, so if people want to come along, they've got all of their um, their produce. You know, we've got hops, we've got wasabi, we've got you know all the fruits and vegetables and herbs that you can think of a massive range of the different times and whatnot um so the farm gate sales they're on every second saturday of the month and they're at um 125 
Quail Road, that's Q-U-A-Y-L-E, Quail Road in Wandon, um, from 9 to 1, I think it is, and that's either cash or FPOS. Um, but, uh, and, and you can see, you know, a uh, production nursery as well. You know, it's um, a beautiful site and um, they grow plants so wonderfully. There. Clive Larkman came from Kilmore. Did he really? Yes, and he, okay. stu- he stood for Parliament in Kilmore. Yeah, I know. Yes, yes, he did stand for Parliament. Yeah. So is, is that the second and the fourth Saturday of the month? No, just the second just Saturday. The second yeah, Saturday. just thanks. Thanks for it. They're an adventurous company, and they get out and have a go. Oh, they do. I love that. You know, they bring yeah. in. They've just recently brought in thousands and thousands of um, hellebores yes. from Europe. Um, uh, you know, just. Um, Grown in in your sterile agar mm. gel, and um, they they're growing them on now. So they they really have a go at growing mm. lots of mm. different things, Fantastic. as well as your tried and trusted tried and tested things that you know yes. people love. Yeah, and I I love looking at Di's website because there are things there that you are, are difficult to find. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, really sad, but another one of our great nurseries is going. Which one's that? Up in Mumbulk. Right. Um. Oh, God. So she promptly goes completely blank. <laughs> can't, can't even think. A production nursery or? No, or no. A... Rare plants. Oh, oh, okay. Yes, I have heard of that too. Um, but don't worry about it. But <laughs> it's going. Yes, the name has just immediately popped out. I know this place so well and it's immediately popped out of my brain. As soon as I stop trying to think of it, it'll come up. Of course it will. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah, but, but so many of the nurseries we've lost over the last. I know, it's shocking. couple of years. Yeah. The trouble is, the trouble is, the land's worth too much these days. Well, and the other thing is, people are getting old. Yes, you know, so people have. I mean, people I have mean, been it's doing a heck it of a lot of work to years. run a nursery. Your miner—that's what I'm trying oh, to say. Your miner. Miner. Oh, your miners mm. proposing. Uh, a lot of it revolves around uh, training of people in the nursery industry, and um, that's that's a real feature. And people can begin uh, if they've got training. They they can begin even just working to build up a business in their own backyard. Mm. You know, we, we have such a history of that in, in the nursery industry and um, it, it is about training mm. so often. Mm. We must very quickly go to our last caller. We've got Anne in Northcote. Just be quick, Anne. Hi. I'd love to grow peonies and I've just bought a bulb. It's a, an herbaceous peony. So I've got an east-west facing property and um, taken down a couple of big trees so I haven't really got much shade at the moment and I've got very clay soil. Do you have any tips on planting? They need, they need extreme cold and I doubt that you can grow them in Melbourne. Yep. You um, won't have any success. Not with the herbaceous. You can no. grow t- tree peonies but you won't manage the herbaceous. No, you have to move, dear. Okay. So, if if, if you've got a friend who's living in a a, in a much colder climate, Tassie, um, give them a gift. Yes, (laughs) I can can grow. I can grow peonies in Seville. You can grow them in the Dandenongs, but Uh I just I I mean you can always try it. You've got it there, so try it. But I just don't like your chances. Mm. It needs this winter probably would have been a little bit happy, but most but winters it won't it survive won't. the summer. Mm. If you want flowers, um, and when they're in flower, you can get them um, at the stalls at Sylvan along the, along the main road. It's, they're mm. often got them there because they grow them successfully in Sylvan. Okay, all right. Thank Sorry about all. that. Thanks. <laughs> okay. All right. Good Bye. on you. Bye. 
Oh, we've uh, come to the end for yet another week. Uh, a big thank you to the team and also to Liz, who's been handling all the calls for us this morning. We will, of course, uh, be back again next week at 7.30. You have been listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, do tune in again next week at 7.30. But until then, bye for now.